I thought I'd wake you all up with that. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas. Come on. Turn to your second choice. Say, Merry Christmas. Second choice. Still got to be nice. It's the most wonderful time. Anyway, I hope you guys are glad to be here. My name is Pastor Derek. I just want to welcome you to uh, the third installment in our Hope series. Going to get into that in just a minute. But uh, just, I know with, you know, all the hustle and bustle, it's so, you know, good to just stop and drop and pray and hang out and worship. Wasn't worship awesome? I love seeing those kind of modern kind of uh, Christmas carols. Yeah, I'm so proud of our worship team. They do a great job. It's awesome to do that. How many of you guys got all your Christmas shopping done? Raise your hand. How many haven't started? Okay, we have prayer for you after service right down here. You're going to need some help. You're going to need some help. You know, you're going to need some hope. I hope you can get it all done. <laughs> I heard my friend, uh, Pastor Randy, he, um, he pastors a church, Bayside Community Church, and uh, just was celebrating with him last night, just thinking about, he's one of my closest friends in ministry, and we just have a blast and always laugh and having a good time, but he's been going through a lot of stress, just getting ready, because they opened a brand new auditorium, a 2,500-seat auditorium in Bradenton, Florida. And uh, they opened, they, they, they put it out there that they were going to be done by uh, just yes, by yesterday. And so a lot of pressure, you know, when you put a date out there in advance to try to make that happen. So anyway, it's hard to explain how complicated it was. But um, anyway, I was just watching him. It was just awesome to rejoice with him. But he's a Cajun, so he always tells these Cajun jokes. So sometimes I bring some of those Louisiana jokes up here. And um, anyway, I heard this story about you guys, anybody ever heard a Cajun joke, a Boudreaux joke? Anybody? Boudreaux joke? Nobody? Somebody? Anyway, down in Louisiana, they have these, these two kind of infamous people called Boudreaux Thibodeau, and they always tell stories about them. But anyway, Boudreaux, he's, he's, he, was, uh, he, was, he was doing his Christmas shopping, apparently, but he got in trouble. So he's standing before the judge, and, 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 the, and, he's, and he's there, and he's got handcuffs behind him, and he sees the judge, and the judge knows Boudreaux, and Boudreaux knows the judge, and Boudreaux says, you know, to the judge, hey, how you doing? Merry Christmas. And Judge says to him, Merry Christmas to you. You know, I, I, I'm surprised you're here. I'm surprised you're not out, you know, doing your shopping. You know, what, what are you doing here? In fact, it says right here, you're here for stealing, Boudreaux. What's that all about? He says, I don't know, sir. There must be some confusion because I did all my shopping before the stores even opened. <laughs> you guys getting that? Oh, good. Some of you might need to help your neighbors with that one. But hopefully you get all your shopping done while the stores are open. Okay, everybody? Let's, let's be sure about that. Otherwise, um, you're going to need a little extra church next year. But uh, speaking of church, I just want to say quickly before I get into today's message how grateful I am for this church. Once again, I was just uh, talking to my wife, talking to some people on, in our team. Uh, even my mother was sharing something with me uh, the other day that made me think about this. And there's just all these different stories coming in from our church. Some, of, some stuff that we do un- intentionally and unintentionally. At the end of the year, I, sh- I revealed to you some of our missions giving and where all of our missions dollars go, goes. And, and uh, 12.7% of our total budget we gave away to uh, mission partners uh, internationally, domestically, and locally. And I was just so proud of our church. But there's all these other things that you guys do. First of all, I just want to say the seat that you're sitting in was because of the sacrifice of somebody before you. You know, people just, I'm amazed by that. When I think about what happened in this last year, we were celebrating as an eldership at a Christmas party recently with husbands and wives and just one story after the other for, you know, um, well over an hour, just sharing story after story, unrehearsed, unprepared, talking about how much 
Connect Community Church has done for other people, and it just kind of blows me away. It blows me away that you care about the things of God, you care about your church, and you see that this is a vehicle to do things for other people. Uh, in First Chronicles, David said, said this, he said, we set our heart on the house of the Lord our God. You know, and sometimes we want to make God a priority, but we have to set our heart right first in order for God to be a priority. And many of you did that, and I'm so, so thankful. Just this week, I got messages, just people saying things like this, you know, um, this happened, helping people move. During the holidays, it can be very, very stressful. Visiting people in hospitals. Um, I, there was a, 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 there's a man who's getting tutored for his GED because uh, he couldn't do that some other way. And, and people, you know, giving wonderful gifts for Christmas time. And, and, and I'll tell you one thing that was a highlight for me is um, many years ago when I first got into ministry, um, you know, God has always met all our needs. And I don't want to, I don't want to, um, you know, communicate something false, but, but there's been struggle. You know, sometimes you wonder how are you going to be able to do this and how are you going to be able to do that. And I can remember one year getting a Christmas card and opening the Christmas card and it was a check. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty big fat check, you know, especially back then. And, and they just said, I just want to, I know the struggle of ministry and I just want to bless you and just want to kind of pour into you. And I can remember thinking back then, this is a long time ago, I can remember thinking that one day I want to be able to do that for, for pastors who are going through it and going, and going through the struggle. And so because of the giving of our church, we even you know, were able to do more than what I even anticipated being able to do. And so at the end of the year, my financial director said, hey, we have a certain amount of money that you know, um, we, we, we could still give away if you want to. I said, well, yeah, I want to do that. And so um, I was just writing checks to church planners in our area, putting it in a Christmas card and sending it to them and just being, and, and I actually put on the note, you know, this is not for ministry, this is for you, the minister. Make, I forbid you to pour this back in. You need to pour this into you. Be blessed. Merry Christmas from Connect Community Church. And I just want you to know that there are church planners in our area right now that are thanking God for Connect Community Church and your faithful giving. And I just wanted to give you a big hand for that. So isn't that awesome to be able to do that? So if you're going through some of these guys, I just I wish you could know some of their stories. I just don't have time to tell you about it, but they're being blessed. At the end of the day, when you're doing something for somebody else, because that's what Christmas is all about, it's about giving. When you're giving your time, your energy, your care, some, some selfless act, random acts of kindness, taking those pay it forward cards, going through the Chick-fil-A line and paying for somebody behind you. Come on, everybody. Did you hear Chick-fil-A? I just said that. The presence of God just entered the room. Uh, <laughs> but whatever you're doing that, are you giving money to somebody else? I want you to know something. You're not actually giving that. You're giving hope. That's what you're doing. And I had a woman tell me just recently, she said, I got a card in the mail from, from uh, your church pastor, some member of your church, and, uh, and uh, she said, that particular week, I just didn't know, you know, if anybody cared, anybody noticed, but when I got that card, she said, I, I had hope again. That's what it's about. You're providing hope. You're providing hope. And, and that's what the series is about. And one of the things that I've noticed about the holidays is that it's, for many people, not the most wonderful time of the year. And a couple of weeks ago, I was just sharing with you, one guy said to me, she goes, he said, I hate the holidays because I have to do two of everything. I hate the holidays, Pastor. Because my mother and my sister are not talking, I have to do two Thanksgivings and I had to do two Christmases. And so some people, a lot of people, because of relational pain, it could be financial pain, it could be physical pain, which I know many situations right now that are heavy on my heart in that particular area uh, are going through that. And it's, the truth is, though, it's really not the quantity of pain has increased during the holidays, but the volume has been turned up. You feel it more. You hear about it more. We seem to be more sensitive to it because we had an expectation 
expectation about what it was going to be like during this particular time of year. And when it's not like that, our hope is deferred. I thought I would be at a different place at this stage in my life, and I look back and say, I'm not where I want to be. We don't think I'm not where I used to be. We think I'm not where I want to be. I thought I would be further along, you know, in the development of my financial portfolio. I don't even have a P in portfolio. You know, I thought I would be further along. I thought I would be healthier at this time, and I look at my condition. I thought of this. I thought of that. Hope deferred, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13, makes what? The heart makes it sick. So the thing that's worse a lot of times than the circumstantial pain, what's worse than sometimes the relational pain, what's worse than sometimes the financial pain is that I thought I would be someplace else. I thought I'd be in a different position. In my, it's been deferred and it makes the heart sick. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stronger, sometimes more painful sickness than any sickness that we could possibly have. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, our theme text, it's, it says, it says, Jesus used this story. Everybody say story. So you have a story that God actually wants to turn and use for his glory. He wants to take your mess and make it a message. He wants to turn your situation around and make it a situation that, somebody, that God can leverage to help somebody else in their situation. Amen. And so he wants to use stories. Then it says, Jesus used this story to teach his followers. So when I was reading that, I just said, bam, that's it. That's what God wants us to bring to, to the holiday season is God wants to bring stories to help encourage people and help build people up. And then he says that as a result of those stories, they would be inspired, they would be motivated, they would be captivated in such a way that they would never give up. They would always pray, and the Bible says, never as a result lose hope because somebody knows what I'm going through. Somebody went through what I went through. Somebody overcame what I overcame. Somebody in the middle of it still kind of pulled through it because of those stories, I have hope. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And so every single week in your sphere of influence, you know people in your life, but in this church, in this, let's just say posse of people, we have mined for some of the stories and some of the situations that have happened in your midst. Everybody's either going into a problem, in one right now, or came through it, and we looked at different ones where people, for the most part, have come through these situations. Some of them, though, it's really, at the end of the day, it's really a journey, and so I hope that you'll be encouraged by Ray and Yolanda's story as they bring it to you right now. God bless you. Yolanda. And we're here to share our story for God's glory. So in 2003, Yolanda and I decided to get married. And so I married her and her three children. And she returned the favor and married me and my three children. And we became very quickly the, the Spanish Brady Bunch. That's right. We got that name one time. We were looking for a washing machine, a big one, because now we're a big family. And we went to Sears, and when we started saying that we have to find a bigger washing machine, they said, what? You have a Brady Bunch? Yeah, we are. We have six children. Oh, okay. So that's after that, we're called, or name the Spanish Brady Bunch. So our youngest child is 19 and our oldest is 30 and we are here to talk about one of them. His name is David. David was a 
Maybe it's a nice boy, very smart, yes, very friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, he was very um, always interested in sports and uh, very popular, good-looking. Uh, so he never he was no shy. He's never shy at all. Like to dance. Loved dancing. He loved uh, anything that had to do with uh, being on stage and getting people's attention. And he was so good at it. Yes. Um, he had a beautiful heart. Yes. Beautiful heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, and early on, I could tell that David um, was very trusting. You know, he he thought first of how good people were. So he saw goodness in everything, and. And, and that's how he lived his life. Um, when he was in high school, uh, he was very creative and he decided that he wanted to try theater and he wanted to try dancing and he did that. And every time he did something new, you know, we kind of you know, offer support and, and encouragement. One day he came in and he said to me, Dad, I think I'm going to try out for the uh, cheerleading squad. And you know, uh, being being the regular guy that I am, I said, "Well, how many boys are in that in that squad?" And he <laughs> said, "I'll be the first one." And uh, he never uh, looked back. You know, he was very interested in breaking new ground, and, and so he did, and he did very well. Yes, he did. Um, he was very uh, effective in in doing what he did, and um, so, so much so that he eventually uh, got gigs. Uh, after high school, uh, you know, coaching other teams as well. He went to college and sure enough, he joined the cheerleading squad there and he was great. Uh, uh, one day he is, I'm, I'm watching uh, a basketball game at a halftime. I see this kid going backflips from one end of the court to the other and, and that was him. And he did a great job. I'm so proud, that's my son, you know. So, you know, he was always very interested in doing new things and he did have a gift, uh, an opera gift. He was a great dancer and mm -hmm. a very talented performer. Um, and, uh, but he, uh, you know, he, he struggled uh, with uh, rejection. I think, uh, you know, sometimes this world can be a little bit cruel to people that are a little bit different and he, and, and that bothered him. I, I knew I knew early on that that bothered him, and he cared a lot about people that would fall in that category, that would be a little bit different than the norm. And and he uh, and he took. Uh, he was always you know, you know uh, going for the uh, you know the underdog, and and uh, he had a, a good heart when it came to that. You know, David David uh, learned about God and uh, about Jesus early on in life. Uh, we shared that with him, and, and, and that was an important part of, of who we are, and, and certainly it was something that he carried with him. So um, David uh, decided to go to college, uh, as I mentioned, and he was doing well, you know, very smart. He took some classes that, um, uh, you know, he did very, very well uh, on, but uh, he wanted to try uh, performance, uh, and that was a big thing for him. And uh, you know, so he approached me one day and he said, you know, Dad, I think I'm, you know, I, I should be trying uh, 
things a little bit more seriously about performing and uh, so um, he started talking about moving to California. Um, by then I had uh, started to realize that, uh, that David for uh, for whatever the reason, you know, uh, perhaps he was uh, hanging out with our own crowd at times, or perhaps he was frustrated with some of the things that I mentioned about tolerance issues and, and you know, finding his, his way and, and who he was in life and, and what he, his purpose was in life. Um, it started to become clear that he was experimenting with uh, uh, substances and uh, so we were very concerned about that uh, as a family. And we had some conversations about that. And, and David and I talked seriously about uh, the role that uh, God plays in our lives and, and, and how Jesus can make things um, uh, you know, different for us uh, if we you know, work on building a relationship with him. Um, the, the, uh, he decided that it was time for him to to start fresh, uh, get a first start, go to California and try something new. And, and so he did. And uh, he asked me for my uh, support of his decision. And I, and I did. I did say to him, you know, as long as you try to pursue and complete your education somehow, uh, uh, sure, go for it. Um, in the back of my head, I was um, hoping that his issues. Uh, with uh, you know, with with drugs, uh, uh, street drugs uh, would would uh, get better, and and that this would be just a stage, and that he would be able to get out of that. Um, and, and I continued to monitor that. I continued to talk to him about those things. Uh, he started looking for some help, um, and when he moved to California, he started doing very well. Um, he uh, right away engaged in some um, opportunities that uh, allowed him to continue to work in the field of, of uh, exercising and sports. Uh, and, and very quickly he found himself with opportunities teaching children with disabilities. So um, right away he started uh, taking advantage of that and uh, and I think he, he found uh, perhaps a calling and he was very proud of that and he started studying uh, on his own, uh, researching uh, that field and he learned a lot and he put all, everything that he learned into practice. He would call me and he would consult with me and he would share ideas with me and every time we talked, you know, I took the opportunity to remind him about our relationship with, uh, with Jesus and and how important it was to, to remain um, uh, you know, true to what God wants us to do. And, and it was clear to me that uh, he found, what he found in his calling had to do with that, uh, what God had put in his heart. Uh, it was very important to him and it became a passion of his. Um, Clearly and unfortunately, he, uh, he continued to struggle a little bit with, uh, with drug addiction. Um, and, uh, and I think that um, it was something that he uh, did everything that he could, I believe, to get away from. 
yeah, we had conversations about that subject, and, and uh, uh, you know, he shared with me many intimate things that he had gone through in life, uh, in his short life, and some of his own feelings, and and it, it became very, very clear to me that the struggle that he had had to do with that rejection. That you know, it became much more. Um, apparent to me that um, it was a serious concern of his. Uh, at the same time, he was able to channel uh, his gifts and his desire to help others in helping those that have less of an ability to look out for themselves, and he did that very well. And, uh, and he took on um, the case of several kids uh, that, he, that he worked with uh, and helped uh, for over three years. Uh, in many different and immense ways. Um, and we had an opportunity, I remember, over the phone where I asked him, you know, uh, would you renew your relationship with Jesus and would you, you know, would you call him um, to, to save you and, and would you give your life to him uh, all over again? And he did do that. Uh, and we did it over the phone and and it was a beautiful experience that I will never forget. So I know that central to who he was, uh, there was a big part of, of, of God's influence in him. Um, yet, um, as I'm recalled, uh, one can be saved and yet uh, be, be trapped. And I think that's what happened with David. David had um, a situation where he uh, was still trapped and was not able to feel free. So about a year and a half ago, on May the 8th, I had taken some time off from work that day. Um, there were some things that I had to do in the house. And I was about to start getting ready to go to go out to work, and I hear some noise in the front door, like somebody's trying to open the door, but they can't. So I went over, opened the door, and here comes my daughter Catherine, David's sister. And uh, I could immediately tell that something was very, very wrong. You know, she's um, she's trying to say something to me, but she the words are not coming out, and. And I, I see desperation, uh, anguish, and and she's looking at me, uh, and and all I can do is halt her. And uh, at some point, she was able to get a few words out, and and what I heard was, it's David. They found David. So. Uh, you, I, I just held her and um, I asked her how, you know, how she find out who called her and she told me. So I immediately called that person, uh, David's friend, neighbor. Um, yeah, I was able to get in touch with her and she told me at that point that the, uh, the fire rescue was still uh, there, the police was there. I asked to speak with a policeman, and the policeman refused, or later I understood why. Uh, and, um, and they told me that 
I would get a call later. Uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know what to do. So I called, uh, I called my friend, my friend Jack. And I pulled him out from, an off, from, from a meeting that he had and I said, Jack, you know, this is what happened. Uh, what do I do? How does one prepare for that? What, what do I do? It was hard. It was hard not to know. It was hard, you know, the, the waiting. It was hard. Um, so David, David was found. Uh, he had, he suffered an accidental overdose. Um, and he was found on the floor of his apartment. Uh, his friends noticed that, you know, something was different. Uh, he didn't get up to run like he always does. So they started calling him. Eventually they broke in and, and they found him. Um, thankfully, they found him there and he was his friends. I, I'm grateful for that. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I had to do, I had to tell Michael, uh, who, um, you know, I'm, it's, it's hard for him to understand. I had to tell him that David had an accident and I was going to, to, to go uh, to California and, and see how he was doing. Uh, that I was very concerned and, and he took it well. Um, shortly after I was on a plane uh, to LA, um, um, I arrived to the coroner's office and they gave me his license, his wallet, his keys, all in an envelope. And uh, I wanted to see him, but they wouldn't let me. So uh, I went to his apartment. I had two and a half days to do everything I needed to do over there, find out what I needed to do to begin with, and then do it, and then come back to continue with what I needed to do. Um, so I was grateful that I had that time to meet his friends, pack everything that I needed to pack, um, clean the floor where he was found. Go see him. All these hands. So I have to tell you, um, you know, I will share this with you. Um, among the things that I packed and that I found uh, in his apartment, uh, there were there were letters that I wrote to him that he saved. In those letters, I talked to him about salvation. I talked to him about hope. I talked to him about our relationship with Jesus, um, what he did for us to liberate us from uh, all the pain and suffering and all the bad things and all the promises. And I was so glad to find those letters there. He could have tossed them. He could have gotten rid of them. Well, he saved them. He kept them. He kept them close to him. And that uh, reinforces my strong belief that when we spoke over the phone and we agreed and he gave his life to Jesus, 
that Jesus was there and, and he, Jesus embraced him. Uh, embraced him at that moment. I have no doubt that when David was going through his last moments and he was uh, breathing his last breaths, that Jesus was right there too and uh, he sent angels for David. You know, it's, it's important to remember that you know, salvation is a process. For many reasons, uh, I am convinced that uh, God is involved in everything that happened and that one day uh, we're going to join David and we're going to see him again. You know, it, uh, I have had many questions and I still do. Some of those questions have been answered uh, through a number of different ways. You know, uh, uh, Stacy's and, and Devon's testimony not too long ago and other messages and other things that people have um, shared with me and with us. And uh, sometimes I'm asked if I had to say something to somebody that may be facing something similar, I would say, don't give up. As a parent, inter intervene. Stay involved. Make sure that your loved one knows that there is a love worth fighting for and that love comes from Jesus. Also understand that our actions have consequences. And we are here because we believe that God is a big dad and he loves our, all his children. And we should practice that too. As I said, life, life can, can be so fragile, but there's plenty of, of reasons to believe and understand that as long as we maintain a relationship with God and we build on that. It is a process, but the closer we get through that relationship, the safer we are, the safer all our loved ones are. People will follow by example. So the strength that we, that we have, even to be able to share this with you, comes from one source, and that is God and His love. Surrounded by your glory what will my heart feel Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still Will I stand in your presence? I feel like uh, sometimes at a wedding, you better say everything right because it's only get one shot. And, and, um, and this must be what a surgeon feels like when somebody's opened up and they hand you the scalpel and say, okay, don't mess up. Uh, so that's kind of how I feel, but I just, um, in these moments, I just want to uh, thank Ray and Yolanda for your bravery. We commend you for your bravery. And your whole family, your beautiful family. Thank you all. I believe God is using your story for his glory. Amen. Whew, I need a moment. <clears throat> I remember being with, uh, well, first of all, we, we received just uh, kind of a written testimony from Ray uh, a while back, and it just, one day, just stuck in my brain when God gave me an idea for this series. 
that I should talk to him and see if he'd be willing to share. And, and, and they, they spoke as a couple and decided to do so. The first time they came in uh, to film, we, we have a, like a production room at the back there. Um, we, as a creative team, just let them talk. They've never talked about this in public, ever. And so they're so brave. Um, but I believe there were just so many powerful things that are, are stated, you know, in somebody's story. And you can see in their journey in the processing of this experience uh, certain, you know, truths unpacked that we can apply to our life. Uh, one is that, you know, one thing that comes to my mind very strongly is how important it is uh, the parental role. And that ultimately God is a parent. God is the best parent. And we, and you'll see this in this message today, I hope, come through in different ways and different layers of truth. But we as, you know, people are so preoccupied with this life and hold on to it so tightly. But God is not looking at just the temporary. He's always looking through the lens of the eternal. He's an eternal God. We're actually spiritual beings having a human experience. This this is a shell. It is just, it's corruptible. It can, it can die. It will die. It's appointed unto every man to die. It will happen. It just, some of us, it's, sometimes it's premature and sometimes it's an unfortunate circumstance. But God is always thinking about relationship with him forever. And he wants us as the stewards of our children to make that a preoccupation of our lives as well, a value of our lives as well. Let's do everything we can to make sure that our kids and our, our offspring and our friends and our family, and that's really why a church exists too, is to reach and connect the disconnected to God, godly people in a godly place. And that's what Ray uh, did in, with his son through multiple conversations and multiple efforts and layers. And, and, and there are many things that now in his absence that he can hold on to, and he has hope that he will see him once again. And that same hope, we, in this life, as long as people have breath, we can be pursuing that kind of relationship with people. For some people, hope is something we do. For, for Christians, it's something we have. For some people, hope is a verb. For, but for Christians, hope is a noun. It has, a, it has a, is an anchor about it. There's something solid, secure, and firm about it. Hope, as we said already, is a confident expectation based on something solid. And they couldn't do what they just did had they not had that. It'd be impossible. And today I'm mindful of people like them, and I'm sure you are too. I think about many people are going through my brain. I have a staff member whose mom is very, very ill and hurt herself really bad. There's a girl in our church that I pray for uh, nearly every day who's battling for her life in cancer. A beautiful woman who's just lost all that beauty to cancer, and she's fighting for her life, and she loves Jesus with all her heart, and I just talked yesterday to a friend, um, he's really a very mature believer who lost his mom, and, and uh, they celebrated her graduation because she's a Christ follower, but nevertheless, it was an absence, you know, I have a friend, a very close friend who's been out of work for a long time, I pray for him every day, I have, uh, um, you know, many people that you guys have too in your life that you're thinking of. I hope you are. I have another friend whose uh, dad has, has just told me he has cancer and he's going to see him. I just could go on all day about this. And I, I was thinking about all the things that our church does for people to bring hope. And, um, but sometimes if you don't have it yourself, you can't give it away. It, 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 
I couldn't get up here and get feed, let's just say. There's a, a, a manna, a spiritual bread that's supposed to be brought every, every Sunday to church. I couldn't give the word to you if I wasn't eating the word myself. Amen. Does that make sense to everybody out there? Like it would end up not, it'd fall, it would fall to the ground. It wouldn't do any good. It might even do harm. The same is true for you when it comes to hope. Bringing hope to other people. You, 2 Corinthians says, we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received, where? From the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1.3. So I see in situations like Ray and Yolanda's situation, like, you know, what you saw with Kevin and Angelica's situation, like what you saw with Brenda and Ed's situation where their doctor told them their baby should be terminated and it could even threaten the mom's life. Like in those stories, I see some people who lean into those situations, learn from those situations, and I see other people who hit the panic button and they, and they run from those situations. And yet they might have called upon the name of the Lord, they might call themselves Christians, but they don't have that secure hope. In fact, sometimes non-Christians call Christians in those situations that they've even potentially even mocked or made fun of or thought were little crackpots, you know, but they call them up because they have something that nobody else has. I wanna give you something today so that you can actually give hope away because we don't just come to church to just kinda of get our ears tickled and, and, and have hope just for a moment. We're supposed to be able to give hope to people in those moments, those defining moments, when they need it desperately, in those desperate situations. Can I have an amen? Because hope is something, it's an intangible that can have a tangibility to it. And I want to give you something you can walk away with. Look in your notes, your worship guides, or a new version with us if you're following along. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13. Are you all tracking out there? It says this, may God, and I hope you receive this as a prayer today, may God, the source of hope. Everybody say the source of hope. Let's say it again strong, the source of hope. So the source of hope is God. The source of hope is God. May he fill you with joy and peace through your faith in him. It's interesting that, you know, we sing songs. It's the most, it's the most wonderful time of the year. But if anything, for many people, it's not that at all. They don't have joy. They don't have peace. They don't have hope in these situations. How do we have that? Well, we have to go to God because he's the source of hope. And I don't care what anybody else tells you. There's no, there's no self-help improvement plan that is going to give you the, 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 the hope and the power to overcome the situations that you need other than God because he is the source of all hope. Can I have an amen? And, I, and, I, and, and what, he's, what he also will tell us and he really guarantee is that by, by following him, putting your faith in him doesn't mean you're going to be without troubles. No, there'll be troubles. There'll be difficulties. But, and, and, and I see this with people. Some people, they, they go into those things and they are shook and they are rocked and they are devastated because they have not built their faith on something secure. It's, on a, it's a house of cards. It's, it's built on sand. But God wants us to build our faith and put into practice the things he says, according to Matthew 7. You can look it up. It's a great devotion. But basically, when the storms come, the winds blow, and all those things, what is your house going to be built on? It needs to be built on God. Because I can guarantee you that if, it, if you are, those people have an anchor in the middle of them that, that, that doesn't... They're not tossed to and fro by all the winds and, and, and seas of life because your life is built on something. And then it says, then you overflow with hope. See, that's what I don't see sometimes in the body of Christ, and I think it's a tragedy. I think it's, it's, a, it's a, in some cases shameful that we haven't got to, we haven't got to a place where, where we have something to give away. 
The best thing you can give to people this Christmas, obviously, is Jesus Christ in relationship with him. But, but that's hope. That's hope. Is give, give the world hope. After looking at all the scriptures that relate to the subject of hope, and, you know, in, in, in the old days when I put together a message, you know, I have these big books just filled with, you know, concordances and lexicons and all these crazy books that nobody knows what they're talking, talking about. Not unicorns, just so you know. I didn't say that. I said lexicon. But... Uh, but now you have all these programs on your, on your computer, so it's just amazing. You can literally just have just libraries on your computer. So I just did a search for the word hope and pulled up every scripture related to the word hope. In all those scriptures, there were these like five themes that came through as sources of hope. And I want to, um, I feel my obligation, again, as pastor, is to give, you know, you've given so much this year. You've given so much to the community. You've given so much, even taking care of each other. You've done a lot as a church. You guys are, I mean, even, uh, you know, just the Christmas tree downstairs, all the different things. We're meeting people's needs all over the place. It's amazing. But I feel like, I feel like it's my job to give you something today. I want to give you five sources of hope. Number one, here's, here's a source of hope so that you can give hope to somebody else, not only just at Christmas time, but all the time. Amen? Amen. Here's the first one God's presence. Presence. Now, I'm not talking about presence under the tree, so don't get too excited. Okay, I'm talking about his presence, his tangible presence. Now, we often understand presence. We understand, like, some of the attributes of God, that he's omniscient, that he's omnipotent, that he is omnipresent. That's basically he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere, you know? But that has kind of just a, it kind of just goes over our head. You know, it has kind of a kumbaya moment for just a blink, but it doesn't really mean anything to us. But in, but in the word of God and in the Christian experience, God wants to encounter his people. One of the things that we should, we should strive for, long for, is to actually encounter a holy God. In the Old Testament, it was very difficult to encounter a holy God, and there was a bunch of protocol to be able to be in the presence of God. But because of Jesus, we can have access with God. We can be in, in communion and connection with God at a more intimate and really informal level because of what Jesus did. Old Testament, was, it was really hard to do that. And so, you know, you had to be like a prophet or you had to be, you know, a priest that just went through certain rituals to do that. Stay up all night reciting the scriptures and blah, blah, blah. And maybe you got to go in the Holy Holies. We, and into some layered kind of uh, church uh, building where you go through these different layers to be able to get to the presence of God. And then we see in the Old Testament, some of you, how many of you ever watched Raiders of the Lost Ark? Come on, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know? All right, this is how most people learned about the Old Testament was through that movie. That's funny, I don't care what you say, that one and, you know, the Ten Commandments with, uh, what's it, Charlton Heston. Those two things taught everybody, they, everything they need to know about the Old Testament. But uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, there was, it's a joke, it's not true. Uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, there was this ark, the Ark of the Covenant. And basically what it was, it was God in a box. It was God on location. It was basically saying, yeah, God's everywhere, but oh, but he's right here in a more pronounced manifested way. And so anybody who had that ark was, was blessed. Anybody who had that ark was prospered. And so that's how it was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we don't have God kind of in a box. We, 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 have, we can have God within us. We can encounter God ourselves. We are the temple. We are we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we have to learn how to connect with him on a personal level, his presence. And one of the things I pray every single Sunday beyond, Lord, help them get this message. They're going to be talking about X, Y, or Z. Help them get it because it's important to me that people get it, you know, because they're, they're going to receive the word. And, and I don't want it to just be information that just kind of, you know, tickles their, tickles their ears and makes them happy for a few seconds. And they remember a story. 
No, I want them to be not informed, but transformed. But after I pray for, for just kind of revelation about the message and something that they can apply to their life, uh, every single Sunday, and we did it even this morning, we pray that people have a moment, even if it's just a second, a minute, 10 minutes, in the presence of God. That should, that, that should make somebody smile or say something, but whatever. In other words, sometimes we don't even get how important that is. I, I hope I, God help me communicate how important it is that people encounter the presence of God. Most, many Christians go to church and never feel God. Do you know God gave you your feelings? Amen. He made you that way. He created you to, to, to have feelings. To, to, he's a demonstrative God. He, he sits in the heavens and he laughs. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He has emotion. God, God gave you those emotions. He wants you to, to know he's here. Amen. He's here. He wants you to experience that. And I pray that every weekend that you have that moment that, that we pray for an open heaven. Even this service, we went around. Every seat that you're sitting in was prayed for and laid, somebody laid hands on it and prayed that you would have a moment where you encountered and you experienced the presence of God. The tangible, on location, personalized to you, presence of God. Kind of a, I don't want to minimize God or be sacrilegious, but goosebump God. Just, oh my gosh, what was that? I've had people go out of the service, you know, unchanged, and I've had one person come in, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, and they go out and go, dude, I, pastor, I don't know what that was. I don't, what, what was that? You know what they're saying? They're saying, he was in there. Something was, it was, it was something happened when I went to church today when I went to church today. And this is kind of my go-to nugget for you today. In other words, when you face something overwhelming, when you face a hopeless situation, you need to run to the presence of God. Amen. You need to run to the presence of God. Some of you might need to practice, which we'll talk about in the new year. In fact, if you'll allow me, if you'll, if you'll make it a point as you, as you embark on the new year, setting not just New Year's resolutions but in practices and habits, but, but, but you'll, you'll, you'll make your, your spiritual journey a priority. But if you'll allow me, I'm going to try to equip you and help you to learn how to practice the presence of God, encounter God, connect with God on a personal level. It's so important. David did this. Moses, some of the greatest men of God in the Bible, they understood how important this was. When Moses was having a bad day, he didn't know what to do. He went in, and he, the Bible called it a tent of meeting. It's basically a date with God. Everybody say date with God. That's all it was. Just, you need a date with God every day. That's what Moses did. He had the pressures of the world on his life, hopeless situations. He'd go in a tent, close everybody off. Everything was separated. He was insulated and isolated from everything else except God himself. And he said, I need you. He'd sometimes complain. He'd whine about the people. I do that about you once in a while. I just want to confess that right now. Sorry. Forgive me. These people. And, 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 and that's what he did. David did the same thing. One time, David, they were in battle, and they were out doing some crazy stuff for God. And at their home base, they were attacked. Their children, their wives, all their belongings, everything was taken from them. They get back. The men are fired up. Like, David, we have, there's one, what are we waiting for? Let's go. We need to go, we need to go attack those guys. He said, no, 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 no. I need to go have a tent of meeting. I need to go get with God. I need to talk to him because this situation is crazy. It's hopeless. I don't know what we're going to do. There's going to be losses incurred. Even if we find them, there's going to be all kinds of damage. He, I don't know what he was thinking. They thought it was, there was just one choice. There was only one reaction. There's nothing to pray about, but he prayed. And he went in and he had, he had a tent of meeting with God at Ziklag. And he said, God, well, you know, I need your help. I don't know what I'm going to do. The, the men were actually outside thinking about killing David. That's how committed he was to this practice of the presence of God. 
They were going to kill him. They were going to turn on their leader because they were so fired up under the emotion of what had happened. And his default was to get into the presence of the Lord. And he inquired of God and God said, you shall recover all, all of it. And they did. They recovered it all. I can remember recently I, I was at home and I was studying, preparing for Sunday or something like that. And um, it was on a Tuesday morning. And I had this phone call come in. And I saw it beside my bed. And I don't, to be honest with you, I didn't want to take it. I didn't want to talk to this person because I knew, I knew it was a big problem. I knew something was up. You know, kind of shut that one off. Came through a second time. Like, ah, man, I can't deal with that. God, God don't you, can't you deal with this? Don't you know I'm trying to connect with you so I can connect, you know, help the people. You know, that's what's going through my head, you know? Anyway, time passed, about a half an hour passes. All of a sudden, somebody's right at the front door. They're at the front door of my house after calling the office, chasing me down, whatever. And uh, met with this particular person. They told me some really, really bad news. I mean, really bad news. And when this person left, I remember driving away, shutting the door, I go up the stairs, and I go into my, my, my living room, and I sat on the couch, and uh, uh, I'm trying to do this without a lot of emotion, but I remember just putting my hand, my, my head in my hands, just like this on my knees, and I'm just like having a freak out moment. You ever have a freak out moment? Like you just don't know how you're going to do it? And I started to cry. I was mad, crying, mad, crying. And somewhere around like 10 minutes of human ventilation and frustration, just my spirit quickened. I went over to the computer and put on Spotify and put on one of my favorite worship lists. And I sat back down on the couch and just cried some more. I don't know if it was eight, nine, ten minutes. I went from kind of moaning and groaning and frustration and just sitting there shock and awe to start singing the song a little bit and singing a little more. And, and there was a certain point in time where I kind of got up, just put my hands, and I looked to the heavens. I remember quoting Psalm 121, one of my favorite scriptures. You know, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord Amen. who made heaven and the earth. You know, I began to worship God, crying, praying, crying, praying, worshiping, thanking God. I felt something happen in my heart. Something happened. You know what it was? The presence of God. That's what it was. At, at, about, at about 15 minutes, honestly, this is the honest to God truth, I felt like I could go hunting bear with a switch. You know what I'm saying? Like I felt like I could take on the world. I could kick a, I could kick a door down, as my dad used to say. I felt so much better because of the presence of God. Now, I got to tell you something. You have to practice the presence of God under difficult situations. If you're going to, by default, do that in those situations. That's why it's so important to be with God on a regular basis. Sit under the word on a weekly basis. Get around people who love God and are following God and put their trust in God. Psalm 1611 says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you're in the presence of God, you're just not mindful of all your problems and situations. All of them just fall off. They're like bugs on the windshield. Paul said this about himself when he was facing all kinds of trials and situations. He called them light and momentary troubles. And if you look at the list of all the things that he had faced, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, beaten and whipped, he called that all light and momentary. Bugs on the windshield. Forget about it. You know, stop being such a sucky baby. That's what I think the word was saying to Paul through that situation. Are you tracking with me? And so when you get that call, or maybe you experience that, that fall where you fall down, you run to the presence of God to find hope. 
have a date with God. You know, the Bible doesn't say his mercies are new every Sunday, by the way. It says his mercies are new every day. That means you need to get up every single day and get under kind of what my dad used to say, the, glory, the, the, the spout where the glory comes out. You need to kind of get under the fountain of God and let him pour into you. And that happens amidst worship. And that's what Paul and Silas did. Moses did. David did. That's what your pastor does. That's what people of God need to do. Can I have an amen again? So let's get into it a little bit more as we go. Psalm 62, 5 says, find rest on my soul and God alone. My hope comes from him. Moses said, you know, I won't go anywhere unless your presence goes with me. And then God responded and said, my presence will go with you in Exodus 33, 14. I will give you rest. Number two, so there's, there's God's presence. Number two, God's promise. God's promise. This is talking about the promises of God. This is talking about reading your Bible every day. This is talking about eating uh, spiritually. How many of you eat every day physically? Come on, somebody. How many love to eat? I, I love to eat. You know what I mean? I like buffets. You know what I'm saying? I like all you can eat buffets. You know? I mean, there's no hesitation, no reservation about my commitment. You know, after this service is over, that will be one of the top priorities of the remainder of my day. So you eat every day physically, right? Eat every day spiritually. The Bible is it's food. It's, it's the bread. It's called the bread of life. And I think the enemy has lied to you. Just, just rebuke the, the, the liar. Rebuke Satan as a liar. He's lying to you saying, this isn't really helping me. This is just words just going in my head. I'm having a hard time doing it. Just rebuke that. That's just ridiculous. Start rebuking that kind of thinking. Renounce that. I renounce in Jesus' name just the reluctance to read the Bible. It's hard for me. Stop saying that. The Bible says about it's the power of life and death is in your tongue. You're cursing your own relationship with God by the things you're saying. You're allowing the enemy to come in and, and, and thwart what God wants to do in your mind. How are you going to renew your mind? How are you going to change your behaviors if you don't change the way you think? How are you going to change the way you think if you don't change what's going into your mind in the first place? You need to read your Bible every day, amen? Eat it spiritually. I asked the guy the other day, I said, I said uh, man, you need to get on a reading plan. You should... Uh, you should start reading the one-year Bible. He says, I am reading the one-year Bible. I said, you are? He said, yeah, I'm in October I'm in October still. I said, man, you don't get it. Don't worry about being, don't worry about it so much that you're still back here in October. You're looking at it through the wrong lens. Just read for today. Get in the, get daily bread. Get in daily bread. When you, listen, if you didn't, if you skipped a meal two or three weeks ago, you don't make up for that and do it all this week, do you? Or you shouldn't. I mean, some of you might be. I don't know. I missed like three meals last week, so I got to do four today for breakfast. I'm going to go to buffet, you know, every meal for the next six days. No, you don't do that. Just get your daily bread every single day. Do what you need to do to get that word in you. If you, if you miss a meal, you don't have to catch up, everybody, okay? Let's don't get crazy about it. Psalm 119.81 says, my soul faints. In other words, my heart can be sick with longing for your salvation. But this is what happened. It all changed when I put my hope in your word. You're not going to be able to recall, have a divine recall if you, have, if you haven't had that study time and that meditation time. It's meditate. It's like day and night, the Bible says in Psalm 1. Meditate on your word. Joshua talks about how important the word of God is in Joshua chapter 1. Romans 15, 4 says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, everybody say endurance, endurance. through encouragement, everybody say encouragement, where does it come from? The scriptures, we might have hope. There are these promises 
Thousands of promises, like 6,000 promises in the Bible written like personalized prescriptions for your situation. You having a hard time with your finances? There are prescriptions for your finances. You having a hard time with your physical health? There are prescriptions for your physical body. You having a hard time kind of overcoming certain patterns or habits of thought, habitudes? There are prescriptions for that. I, I, I need to think good thought. Oh, Philippians 4.8, you know, whatsoever is pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy of good report. Think on these things. See, the promises are there for you and me, amen? Number three, God's process. This is one that kind of stood out to me, probably different. By the way, all of these begin with the letter P. Yes, it is a disease, pastor's disease. Uh, But this is the least expected one, but the one I'm actually going to spend the entire Christmas Eve service message out of the testimony is on this part, this process part. So we'll get more on this on Christmas Eve. But basically, I want you to know that the process brings hope. In other words, suffering and hope are connected. Suffering and hope are connected. God is always, in other words, working something inside you, through you, through pain, through trial, through, you know, the, 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 my father used to call them the pressing problems of the present. How's that for an alliteration disease right there? You know what I'm saying? Where do you think I got it from? The pressing problems of the present. Bless God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I did some Pentecostal stuff in the first service. It's coming back. But there's hope when we appreciate or when we embrace the process. So you could be, so, so Christmas Eve, this is a couple that's going through the process and has hope. In fact, they're going through it right now, this very moment. Talking to them yesterday on the phone. And you pray, and you pray that the full, the full, manifestation of the healing of God be present in this couple that's going to be speaking to us on Christmas. You don't want to miss it. So powerful. So powerful. But it's a process. But they're understanding that and they're embracing that. They're in the middle of it realizing God is doing something through this situation. One of my friends, we talk about this a lot, but God didn't expect you to be perfect, but he wants you to be be being perfected. He's wanting to you to be teachable, malleable, coachable. He's not interested in your comfort, as we always say. He's interested in your character development. He's, and why? Because he wants to use the strength of your character to help somebody else when they don't have it. Amen. When they don't know how to rely and lean on God, they want, God wants to provide some support, a person, as I like to say, Jesus with skin on, to come alongside them to help them through that difficulty. And, that way, and then we'll just say to them, hey, listen, I'm not where I want to be either, but let me tell you something, brother, sister, I'm not where I used to be. I'm in process, but I'm not where I was before. I've been being made perfect. I'm not perfect, but I've been made perfect. I'm maturing, becoming perfect and entire, not lacking anything, as it says in Romans. Romans 5 says this, verse 2. This is the scripture we'll use that day. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Woo-hoo! That's kind of like the Pillsbury Dough guy. That's what that's saying right there. Rejoicing in our sufferings? This is the maturity. This is how far I realize sometimes I need to go. God's saying to me, I want you to be able to rejoice when you're going through these trials. I want you to have a Pillsbury doughboy 
Woohoo! This is exciting. God's getting ready to do something good. He's doing something not on the outside of me. He's doing something on the inside of me. And he wants to do something on the inside of you. And you need to realize that something good is about to happen if you can embrace what's happening right now on the inside of you. Amen? That's what God's trying to say. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings <laughs> because we know that suffering, what? Produces. This is a process of producing something. What does it produce? Good stuff, stuff that you're going to need, buddy, later on. I can remember my son was playing basketball one time. He was like six, seven years old, and he was playing with one of his teachers, and he fell down on the ground. And most parents probably would do this, but I didn't, not because I was so smart and compassionate or whatever. I just probably just whatever, just falling asleep, who knows. But my son fell down on his back. He got knocked over by a grown man, and, and, uh, and I just I didn't get in there. I just, get up. I go, get up. Come on, get up, just like that. You know why I wanted him to get up? Because someday he was going to be sitting there in like, you know, defensive stance and he was going to have to be able to shut somebody down when he was in high school. You know, let's go. Let's go. Let's go time, buddy. And if he didn't learn how to do that when he was six, he wasn't going to be ready when he was 16. Why? Because that suffering produces what? Perseverance. Perseverance is the backbone to stand up and just hold on and never quit. And I'm not giving up and I'm not falling down. And if I do fall down, I'm going to get back up again right away. And perseverance produces character. And character is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. Character is trusting God is your approval and not man. So you're not living by the fear of man, which work at the snare, which is a trap but you live in the fear of the Lord and those people are safe the Bible says and character produces hope and all of these characteristics are inside work and they come about when we're suffering and so if we'll rejoice that all that good stuff's happening inside we go turn your neighbor and say <laughs> this is why many of us think about it this is why many of us work out you don't work out because of what you look like you work out because of what you want to look like. Come on. That's why you endure pain and you go through what you go through so you can get a ripped body just like this. <laughs> you shouldn't have laughed that hard. All right, number four, God's purpose. God's purpose. You guys getting something out of this? Did you know that hope comes from the fact? Hope comes from the fact that you know why you are on this planet. And I say this a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand and one. You weren't created to suck air, take up space, abuse God's grace. You were created for a purpose. And you need to figure out what that is. And it blows my mind how many of us are just going through motions. Everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody's just, we're learning something. Why? What are you learning it for? Are you learning it? Is it connected to your purpose? Young people are going to school and spending thousands and thousands of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on my soapbox this morning. You guys ready for this? Okay. People are spending thousands and thousands of dollars to come out of school and not do what they were, what they were studying for. Figure out what God created you to do. Find your major in life and major in that. That's what God wants you to do. Figure out your major and make a difference with your major in life is what we were created to do. Discipleship is not just study the Bible, study the Bible, study the Bible. Learn more Bible verses. So you can, when a sword drill happens once every thousand years, you can win. Some of you don't even know what a sword drill is. That's the point. It doesn't matter. Okay? So you can, so you can pray better than everybody else in the small group and scare everybody else so they don't want to follow God because they, they don't think they can be like you. 
our Father who art in heaven. Makes me, it makes me ill. Ultimate discipleship is, is figuring out what you were created to do and make a difference doing that, amen? I've said this millions of times that we don't, church doesn't exist just for you. It exists for all people, and we're called to make a difference, and, and that's what connects do it is making a difference and, and being an influence for good in the world and all that, but that's, that's why I'm committed to fill you with more Every year, I pray I can do this better. More and more vision. We're getting ready to start small groups, you know, next semester. Get ready. We're going to reach more people, see more people disciples, figuring out what they're created to do. Help them work through their issues. David, God bless him. He's, he's in heaven. Praise the Lord. But David had issues. You know, he was saved, but he wasn't set free. That's why you need to be in strong, healthy relationship, not just with the Father alone, not just Father, earthly Father, but God's people because we need other people to be, able to, to be able to work through those issues so we can actually get and fulfill our purpose in the economy of God. That's why you need to be in small groups and reaching into the community. That's why we're giving to others. That's why we're committed to help planting churches. That's why we're going to start campuses. Can I say that in faith? Campuses. Can I have a stronger amen from this church? I can appreciate that, okay? We're going to be one church, many locations. We're going to take this and replicate it and multiply it because that's the purpose for our church. And you might be a part of that personally in some way, shape, or form, maybe in significant ways. That's why we exist. But real hope comes from figuring that out. If you don't know what it is, go to 301 tonight. That's what our growth track is all about, is taking you on a spiritual journey to help not just to get you to serve and fill a slot in some lane and, oh, I see what they're trying to do. They're just trying to get me to serve. They're just, they're, that church, they're terrible. They're trying to get me to serve. <laughs> is that really so bad, by the way? The greatest among you is the servant of all. All right? So in the economy of God, we serve an upside-down kingdom where everybody's not under us. Everybody's over us, and we serve them to make a difference. That's what we do. But it's even more than that. God, it might lead you to, it's just a vehicle that might lead you to your ultimate purpose in God. And so you start there so you can get somewhere better than where you may, sometimes where we are right now. Look at what Jeremiah 29 says. You've heard this verse many times. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope, and interestingly enough, look at the connection, and a future. See, hope and future are inseparable, inextricably linked. Hope and your purpose in the economy of God are always connected. If people have purpose, they always have hope. It'll get you out of bed in the morning. You won't live hopeless. You won't live knocked down. You could be, as it says in Proverbs, my father's favorite verse, Proverbs 24, 16, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he, as my dad says, riseth again. That's what he always says. And he does this little thing. He goes, rises again. <laughs> I love it. But to have hope, you need to, God's presence, and you need to feed on his promises appreciate the process, discover and find your purpose. And lastly, you need to know that God has a place for you, a place. And this is referring to, in the Bible, it's referred to the blessed hope. It's the only place where before the word hope, there's an adjective attached to that. So when you see every verse in the Bible, they're all hope, 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 hope. And then there's just one that says the blessed hope. It kind of stands out, kind of pops out in that respect. It has a connection to it. The blessed hope is based on, I believe, the real gospel. See, the American gospel has said, is the American gospel that's been purported and promoted in our country in particular, really over a generation, is that God wants you to have stuff, and God wants you to, you know, just bless, 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 bless. How you doing? Bless. You ain't blessed. You were mad. You got in a fight on the way over here. But anyway, we pretend that we're all blessed. We just pretend we're good, but we're not good. 
But this whole thing about blessing, 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 it's, it's excessive. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to prosper. I'm not saying that. He wants you to have stuff. He just doesn't want it to have you. He wants you to love other things. It's okay. But he doesn't want you to love it more than you love God. All right? But ultimately, the, the, the gospel wasn't a blessed plan. It was a rescue plan. It wasn't, I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to make everything perfect for you, and I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to make everything all right. No, I'm here to take you out of here to a better place. I'm here to take you to a much better place than what you're experiencing right now. I want you to prosper in your soul. 3 John 1, it says this, it's not in your notes, but it says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you prosper. I'm good with that. You would be in health, but I want your soul to prosper. I want your soul to prosper. The ultimate plan of God wasn't bless you, it was rescue you. And so what, what does that look like? It, when when, when, when um, my grandmother was alive, she would go to a little Baptist church down in Yarmouth, Maine. I can remember when Janelle and I used to stay with her in the summer and she'd take us to church. Everybody in there, no offense, but everybody in there was over 80. If you're over 80, I, I love you. I, 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 you know, I, I, I honor the white-haired man or woman, okay? But everybody in there was over 80. I was like six, it wasn't the best. They didn't have kids' church, okay? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, go upstairs, you're going to church with everybody. But they, they, you didn't hear them complaining about the economy. You didn't hear them complaining about the government, this and the government, that. You didn't come complaining about, you know, all the problems and the president and all these different kinds of things. They, were, they always had one eye on eternity and one eye on this life. And when all the problems were going on, they would just, they would just have a sangin'. You know what a sangin' is? They just sing songs about the blessed hope. They'd sing songs about heaven. They began to rejoice in God, their Savior. And they had, they'd just sing, some glad morning when this life is over. All the old people know this right now, okay? Everybody else is like, um, watermelon. I'll fly away when I die. Hallelujah, by and by. You didn't know I could sing, could you? I'll fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. So they have these sayings, you know, and they're always thinking about heaven, they're always thinking about eternity, they'd sing, you know, those old songs, you know, it is well with my soul, you know that song, it is well with my soul. Peace like a river attendeth my, he left me, my way. <laughs> I was in the key of like Z. He's like, I can't go there. But I remember this one verse that says, And Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord, pray for me, shall descend. It is well, it is well with my soul. And they'd all sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. With my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. 
got to realize that we are living our life as sojourners, the Bible says, as aliens to this world. We are here on a temporary assignment. Life is but a test that is related and connected to eternity. This is not our home. Can I have an amen out there? You have a different place, and we're supposed to wear this life. Actually, the Bible, you know, doesn't say it like this, but like a loose garment. Like a loose garment. Like we just, whew, I'm going to get a whole different robe. This whole, this, this is a great shirt, but I'm going to get a much better shirt when I get to heaven. Amen? Amen. And so that's God's, God's place. The ultimate plan is God's place. And so what do you tell somebody? You know, if, if I had gotten a phone call and I've gotten these kind of phone calls and so-and-so's, so-and-so's died. It's Christmas time. So-and-so lost their house. It's Christmas time. Some of you experiencing loss. Some of you afraid of experiencing loss. What, what, do you, what are you going to give them? What are you going to say to them? Some glad morning. That's what I'm going to say. When this life is over, hey, listen, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to fly away. Some glad morning. Not some sad morning, some glad morning. One day we can be together in heaven eternally with our loved ones forever. And you can say to those people in those situations, based on grace through faith, you can have that confidence that you'll see them again in another place. And that's why we as Christians, we don't grieve as those without hope, the Bible says. Yeah, we have pain, but we don't have pain like some people have pain. That's what the Bible tells us. And Jesus spoke to his disciples, and it's in your notes in John 14. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Oh, you're discouraged? Like I said in the first week, oh, you got the George Bailey, you know, like discouragement. You're, you're overcome by discouragement. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, he didn't say, hey, I'm going to perform a miracle. I'm going to make all this okay right now. I'm going to fix all this. I'm going to temporarily make this all go away. That's not what he gave them in John chapter 14. He said, my father's house has many rooms. And if it were not so, would, wouldn't I have told you that? I'm going there to prepare what? A place. Where do we find hope? We find hope in a place that one day we'll be with God. And many here have lost that hope. Many here don't have that hope. And I want to pray for you. Would you stand your feet and let me pray for you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just close your eyes, would you please? And just be still. Everybody just be very, very, very still. This Honestly, it's the most important, important couple of minutes of the whole service. Not listen to me. Listen to God. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Honor the person you're right on your left so they, they can just connect and not be distracted by fear of what people think and what everybody's going to say. I'm not going to call anybody out and embarrass somebody. Just right there. In your, you can have your own encounter, altar call with God right there where you sit. Maybe you're here and you've lost hope. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I'm praying that he is, that you can have an anchor for your soul. You can experience the presence of God in this moment. The promises of God are available to you in his word. There's a process that maybe he's working in you and you haven't seen it. And he wants to show you that he's working something. I know people today that are having some of that process has been revealed. It's like, oh, okay. It's making sense now. He didn't cause all this stuff, but he's using it. He's using it. He's using it for his glory and for his purposes. He's, he's turning my story into a glorious testimony. It's all for a grand purpose and plan. It's a process. And for some of you, he wants to take that process and he wants to reveal to you your purpose might even be revealed through the painful process that you're going through. The thing that you're suffering, maybe it's a marital thing, a financial thing, or something like that. It might even be part of your purpose. I know it was for me. 
I know it was for me. Some of the trials that Cece and I went through has been part of the purpose and plan of God. At the end of it all, though, if you don't get it all, it doesn't all make sense. He provides the ultimate, ultimate answer. And that's he has a place for you where it's all going to make sense and all this pain, all this trial and difficulty, it all, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. Just going to be true joy and peace. But maybe you feel far from God this morning. Maybe you feel distant from God this morning. And the Holy Spirit's calling you back. If that's you and you feel just distant, you're not divorced from God. You know you're saved. You know you, know, you love him. You, you have that confidence that your eternal security is, in, is present. But you feel distant from the presence of God. He wants to be close and near to you. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, I want to be close to God again. I feel distant from him. God bless you. God bless you. All of the room. Father, every person that raised their hand, every person that asks, Lord, I pray that they receive. Ask, seek, knock. I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying to you, you want me? The test of desire? Pursue me. Pursue me. Go after me. Do what Pastor did. Just close everything off and Turn the worship music on and make a date with God. Do what David did, more importantly. Do what Moses did. Do what Jesus himself did. Find a solitary place and pursue the presence of an almighty God. Maybe you're here and you've never actually come to God in the first place. And this is all new and I get it, sir, man, boy, girl. I know this is probably a whole wild thing for you, maybe a whole eye-opening thing, but it's all about connecting with God. It's not about religion and formalism and tradition. It's about a personal connection with God, and it's made possible because of, of God's Son on a rescue plan to, to, to capture your heart and your attention and, and get you in relationship with Him. And maybe this life will never be perfect for you, but you can have eternity with Him, and that can be secure, and that's what it's all about. And if you want to know Jesus personally and you don't know Him, maybe you're listening online and you've never made that connection, I'm just encouraging you to invite Jesus Christ into your life today. And if that's you, and you prepare yourself. Prepare yourself right now. But if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to say, count me in. Count me in. I want to know Jesus Christ. Good and high. I don't want to miss it. Be bold. The enemy's bold about ruining your life, destroying your life, taking everything from you. That's good. All over the room. Thank you, God. Church, you can put your hands down. Church, pray this prayer with me. And those that just raised your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you say, today of my own free will, I declare that Jesus Christ died for me. He paid for my sins. I confess him as Lord. I confess him as my Savior today. I surrender my life to him. God, would you forgive me? Would you save me? Would you show me your plan for my life, my purpose, as I go forward as a follower of Jesus Christ? Right now, I invite you to come into my life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Let's thank him for every decision that was made to come to Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. Come on, shout out.